0: I don't know if you know, but the manuscript was rejected over seventy times. Seven zero. Seven zero.
1: I didn't know that.
0: Yes. Seven zero. What's good?
1: I'm Nikisha Elise Williams, and this is Black and Published, bringing you the journeys of writers, poets, playwrights, and storytellers of all kinds. Today's guest is Lola Akinmade Akeström, the author of the novel. In every mirror, she's black. On this episode, Lola explains how this story came to her after she found herself unable to connect with stories she'd been writing since she was a child.
0: I used to write fiction when I was younger, so I tried rewriting some of those stories as an adult, but I was struggling to rewrite those stories. And I was like, why? And... I just realized those characters were just characters that I couldn't connect with. And I knew that the story I was meant to write was a lot closer to me and my experiences. In putting her experiences to paper, Lola
1: drew on her background as a photographer, travel writer, and former tech head. She unpacks why it was so important for her to show that Black women are not a monolith. How holding empathy for others can help us embrace difference, and what she learned through rejection about her own grit and gumption. Lola shares those stories next when Black and Published continues. When did you know that you
0: were a writer? Mm. I've always loved writing, but I think it actually started when I was 12 or 13 that I knew I was always going to be a writer in some form because I grew up in Lagos, Nigeria, and I went to boarding school. And I used to write a lot of short fiction stories. And I used to have a sign-out sheet. So I was running my own little library in my boarding (laughs) Room where my friends were checking in and out the notebooks I filled up with stories. I knew then that, you know, I would always be a writer in some form. I just didn't know I was going to kind of manifest itself in the future.
1: Okay. So I always hear African children always say that there are only three careers that are acceptable doctor, lawyer, engineer. <laughs> so, exactly. how did writing and deciding to pursue that? As a child, and you're checking out stories from your boarding school room, how
0: did that go over with your family?
1: They like, said, yeah, I'm going to be a writer.
0: Exactly. I did not start out as a writer because I am African. <laughs> so, so when I moved to the U.S. Uh, at 15, I actually went to school for information systems and geography. So so writing was not an option for me. Like My background was in tech, and it wasn't until 2009, That I fully kind of jumped into the more creative, hundred percent writer, photographer, you know, storyteller. Yeah, I
1: saw in your bio that you are a photographer for National Geographic. So I'm like, how did you make the jump from (laughs) tech systems analyst, Geographic Tech, into I'm going to take pictures for National Geographic?
0: Well, I mean, I've always been a creative person, and I call myself a visual storyteller, right? So even before I got into photography, I used to be an oil painter. So that was kind of how I got into photography. I traveled, I took pictures so I could come back and paint them. (laughs) You know, that was actually how I got into it. And then slowly I moved away from the painting to kind of explore photography more. And you have two travel books before the novel, correct? Uh, The first one, which is Dew Not, is kind of a collection of stories spanning over 20 years of travel so i'm dating myself now you know (laughs) sharing those uh, because it's really important to see what it's like to travel through the eyes of an african you know as a Mm. a, a black travel writer as well Ah. we need those stories we need to diversify the storyteller so that's that first book and then the second book is called Gum, the swedish secret of living well is doing
1: Gum, i hope i said that right was that the, when you got the first impetus for these characters and every every mirror she's Black because you mentioned all of your travels and then in the novel, one of your characters has done a lot of traveling and has all of that
0: backstory. I mean, the Logan book shows that I do have deep, deep knowledge about the culture. You know, I've been here uh, many years. I speak the language, I'm married into the culture. So showing that and understanding and digging deeper and looking at things that people take for granted. You know, sometimes it takes an outside view to, to see something sometimes deeper. Um, So I needed to write that book so that it also strengthened me writing in every mirror. She's black, because I know kind of what I'm talking about, you know, culturally lifestyle, different situations, but The idea for In Every Mirror She's Black actually didn't come from writing the first book. It was actually, I told you, you know, I used to write fiction when I was younger. So I tried rewriting some of those stories as an adult, but I was struggling to rewrite those stories. And I was like, why? And I just realized those characters were just characters that I couldn't connect with. As a child, you have a kind of a wider fantasy. So you just create people and characters that at that age are plausible but as an adult I just couldn't create and I knew that the story I was meant to write was a lot closer to me and my experiences and so that was the minute I got that idea then I was like that's it I have to I've traveled the world I know a lot about different cultures I know a lot about Swedish culture I am a black woman in Sweden so I have lots of experiences And I know a lot of Black women across the range from refugees to those, you know, more privileged. Why don't you write a book that actually reflects the diversity of the Black experience in Europe and in Sweden? And so that's what I did. And I knew that I wanted to tackle class, career and culture. So that was why I needed the three women. Oh, I want to go back first. But I, I love that you
1: say, you know, tackling class, career and culture. But so you actually tried to go back to the stories you had written as a child. And like you still had yes. those notebooks and then rewrite yes. them as an
0: adult. Yes, because I had a lot of great and, and I actually have I went back to see I didn't have a lot of those notebooks, but I had a lot of like the synopsis of each of those stories uh, over the years and then um, just try to say, oh, why can't I take this? and write it you know make it something so if I want to do that in the future I have like a well of ideas I could always go back to <laughs> so that's great no I just I've never heard
1: a writer say that before that they've gone back to like their old stuff that they had as a child to try and tackle yeah. it from an adult I think that yeah. uh, what did that teach you about writing in the craft and where your mind was as a child and where it is now and I guess development right. and story arc
0: like that that just that that amazes me yeah no absolutely and I think for me earlier on I knew I had a good sense of self right I had an idea of what my voice Mm. you know even though it it wasn't as developed and I had a good sense of what my voice was and I think having that unique voice for me has been what has also helped me stay consistent in all the things I've done because the voice is pretty much the same wherever I go. So, so yes, I was back then seen as a very weird child and I was sidelined a lot, but you know, uh, it's all paid off. (laughs) It's all paid off. But also it's uh, if I went back to my younger self, I will tell my younger self, just keep sticking to your own voice. Even if the world wants to change it. Mm. So then,
1: and having such a strong voice as a child and then developing it as you've gotten older and then really dove into writing with Due North and Lagom, how did you then parlay that into the three very distinct characters that you have
0: in, in Every Marriage, She's Black? Yes, absolutely. So all the women are me, but they're also not me, right? So I wanted to show first of all the diversity of the black experience Mm -hmm. but I also wanted to show these women as individuals and give them space to make mistakes because as a black woman over the years I haven't been given enough space to make any mistakes myself right and if we make a mistake then we are carrying the entire culture on our shoulders Mm -hmm. and we don't have that privilege society doesn't want to give it to us. So I wanted in this book to give the women the privilege to be able to, you know, to make mistakes and to really, you know, humanize them so deeply. A lot of these women, we don't have the same values, right? We, but at the same time, it's them. And it also makes us reflect on how we are judging them based on our own values, which is also the point of the book, to give people that Black women are not monoliths. They need to be able to feel what they feel, have their own values, and be treated as individuals.
1: So then was it your intention in, in showing that Black women aren't monoliths to also make them all immigrants? Because Brittany is Jamaican, Kami is African, and Muna is, is well,
0: Cami is Nigerian, and Muna is Somali.
1: Correct, um, oh,
0: correct. Well, I mean, Brittany is... African, like American, she was born in the U.S., you know, mm-hmm. so uh, Kemi is naturalized American and then Br- uh, Muna is mm-hmm. Somali refugee and I needed to show the d- three different kinds and there's many, you know, many uh, profiles but just wanted to show three profiles where one is an American, mm-hmm. Black American, you know, one is kind of naturalized, so moved from somewhere else, were naturalized and then the other had to run, you know, flee from our home. So I needed to create very different uh, women, but also not have any of them carry the weight of their cultures on their shoulders so that if Muna makes a mistake, it doesn't reflect on an entire community. Or if Britney makes a mistake, it doesn't reflect on an entire community.
1: So then with that said, what was your publishing journey like with this about, you know, getting an agent to represent it and shopping it to publishing house? Like, how did that go for you with such a unique yes. book? yes.
0: Um, I don't know if you know, but the manuscript was rejected over 70 times. Seven zero? Seven zero. I didn't know that. Yes. Seven zero, this manuscript. Even a friend of mine said she did not know there were that many publishing houses and imprints. (laughs) She was just joking about it. Because because you read the book, right? Many of the publishers, first of all, they said, And they rejected it with high praise, right? With high praise, they rejected. They said, well, a lot of the literary imprint said, well, it's a bit too commercial for us, so we can't publish it. The commercial said, well, it's a little too literary for us, we can't publish it. Well, it centers three Black women, and we're not sure if the audiences will connect, you know, with these women, centering them on a mainstream kind of level, you know, in a country that's just...
1: I hate that excuse so much. I'm sorry. I know, right? I <laughs> know. Like, right? It, it it physically makes me angry. Ah, Yeah, yeah.
0: Okay, so, continue. so you can imagine, I was in this process seven zero. It was, it was, it was rough. And my agent, she's one of the best in the business. She was stumped, and then she fully saw just the gatekeeping, just how thick that gatekeeping layer was, until Sourcebooks kind of heard my voice. And and the way Sourcebooks came about was. The initial place we pitched it to Sourcebooks, the editor, Krista, loved it so much, but couldn't publish it at her own imprint. So she took it to another colleague to go champion this book, to say, please read this book. Read this book. If you love it, let's do it together. So both of them actually bought together, Cole because she champ- really championed. You know, She went to Erin, who is my other editor. So once we went through the editorial process, then and it, it just great you know, God works in mysterious ways, right? Amen. Because once we amen, because once the book got out in terms of the early reads, then we just started getting these amazing authors to read it and blob it, Taylor Jenkins read in Bolombu, Nicole, you know, Dennis Burn, uh, just many of them just come in. And so it was like why the gatekeepers. And I always say, you know, that the gatekeepers are not giving their audiences credit as well because now they are saying we need to spoon feed you because you cannot handle some kinds of stories, you know, so you as the audience should be offended, actually, you know, they are insulting your intelligence. So so that was kind of the, the journey. So now fast forward, we have four different publishers just signed a German deal. We've got film interest, film TV interest. And... I'm just grateful, and this is just the beginning of the journey for this book, you know. So, Mm-mm. but yeah, don't
1: be humble about that. You gotta say, Mm-mm. don't be <laughs> humble about that. You have no. four publishers. You just signed a German deal, and there is film and TV interest after it was rejected yes. seventy times. Seventy-seven zero. That oh my gosh! I'm glad that you shared that story because, in receiving all that rejection, you were still persistent. But how? Yes did that make you rethink your story or revise your story or just
0: continue pushing forward with what
1: you had? I kept
0: pushing it. I kept pushing it because it was a story that needed to be told Mm. because I'm a black woman in Sweden. Right. I'm leaving this almost every day. These are people. I also kind of lots of different uh, women of color, black women, they have different experiences, you know, and our voices are valid as well. And, when I started getting those rejections, I started realizing, oh, they're trying to silence the, vo- the stories. They're trying to make our stories invincible. And I, all that thought got validated when a Swedish publisher reached out. They were interested, but they said, well, they want me to cut out scenes from Muna's section and tone down Muna's section. And that was when I was like, nah, no. Nah. So, in essence, erase somebody that's already invincible. Mm. Just erase their story because their life makes you uncomfortable. I can't do that. So I had to, you know, so I kept driving. And then also just having grit because (laughs) that process of rejection already toughened me. But I imagine if I got after the 40th rejection and then I think about other amazing writers, amazing talented authors, who maybe after their 30th rejection just quit and say, you know what, maybe this is not for me. Then imagine all the voices, all the stories we, you know,
1: that we, we missed have. out on, right? right? And I think that's so profound to say, because you talk about the gatekeeping that's mm-hmm. already there for the authors whose books do come out, all the gatekeeping yes. they faced. And then all yes. the books that die on the chopping block either because the author starts to doubt themselves because of the rejection that comes in or it just yes. never sells. So we, yeah. you already have s- such a small group of books to to pick from when it comes to a diverse mm-hmm. group of authors with unique voices. And that's not even really mm-hmm. what yeah. could come because so exactly. many don't even make
0: it that far. Exactly. And then think about it. All the books that have been sweeping the awards or being shortlisted and longlisted, many of them are writers of color black writers and then and then people are like wow what's going on is there a, a revolution of black writers no you should be pissed at the industry for keeping out the voices out of the industry for so long right these are amazing authors that imagine how many over the years that the industry has kept out because you know letting them in they'll sweep all, all the awards <laughs> you know so. yeah. It was a New York Times article last year that
1: discussed that, like, there's still a diverse books problem, even though when you see the awards and the list come out, they're full of diversity. Like, don't mm-hmm. let the the number of Black and brown faces who are sweeping the awards year after year after year after year fool you. Because,
0: exactly,
1: yes, mm-hmm. they, they're winning, but it's not enough of them. It, it There still needs to be so many more. So, like, I think about robert jones jr who's shortlisted now for the national book Award, yes, i interviewed him yes. for season one and mm. it's just like you know how how long and how much struggle he had to go oh, yes. through to get to his debut novel for it to get to this point and exactly that's that it's having now yeah
0: no oh, absolutely and they're not just that just diversifying the diverse stories themselves right so it doesn't have to be kind of a template diverse story uh, a story that a black author writes And that was also what contributed to the rejections because I am an African writer in the diaspora. Mm -hmm. They're expecting me to write a certain way already. Mm. And with this book, I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. In fact, I started writing it a certain way and then I switched. And I said, you know what? I'm going to write what I want to write the way I want to write it so that when I'm done, people remember the women, not my exquisite prose. They remember the lives of the women. That's what I want you to take away from the book
1: and did they want you to uh, write like Americana like
0: another Americana (laughs) (laughs) you know you know like I'm a Nigerian I'm African I'm in the diaspora you need to write super flowery otherwise we're not going to take you seriously and I'm like screw that I'm not going to do that I'm going to write what I want to write in a way that's you know is approachable is well written is it's direct and unflinching but it's real It is real, you know, and so that also opens up the space so that people can feel like, you know what, I want to write more, you know, blended fiction, you know, in the, you know, I want to write something else that doesn't feel like this is what I need to write as a Black writer or as an African writer to be taken seriously.
1: Okay. And I did see in the notes that you don't want to talk about your personal life, but I do have to ask. How did you get to come to live in Sweden? That just seems like of all the <laughs> countries in the
0: world, because you can exactly. be a travel writer anyway, anywhere. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, I mean, I am married to a Swede. That's why, you know, I, But but that is also why. And I love that you say that of all the places in the world, why Sweden? Right? That's also why I created Yoni as a character. Mm. Because black women generally do not move to the Nordics for any for no reason. So it's something has to bring us. And that was why I had to cre- to make the story real and believable. I had to create it as a character because that's what's going to bring at least Kemi and Britney over.
1: Okay. Let's do a reading before we really dive into the book and, yes. and talking about some more, some more from there. All right, Black and Published family. It's time for the reading. And here's a quick note about In Every Mirror She's Black. The novel explores the experiences of the main characters, Kami, Brittany, and Muna, three very different Black women who live in Sweden and the stories of how they got there and how they might leave. Here's Lola.
0: Okay, absolutely. So I could, um, I will start with Kemi at the office where a boss comes in, Connor, to say, hey, we're going to celebrate you. You know, and then kind of just read a bit of that, all right? Seriously, how do you do it, girl? Connor's Boston Irish accent cut through her concentration like a greeting radio frequency. You are one remarkable woman. She didn't look up at him. Whenever Connor launched into full urban speak, Kemi averted her eyes to spare his dignity. She had been reviewing the latest brand layouts an advertising agency had sent over. With eyebrows furrowed and forehead resting on her fingers, she scanned the copy, cringing at language that showed, a single point of view had been responsible for the global campaign meant to cut across diverse views. She was still mad at Connor for insisting she review it once more, even though she'd been adamant it was a waste of time. He'd simply waved her out of his office, saying, "If anyone could bake brownies out of shit, it was Kemi." What? Kemi asked, still reading the crap copy. I said, he dragged on, "You are one remarkable woman, Kemi. Congratulations." He fully stepped into a corner office with its panoramic glass windows that mentally separated her from the from cubicle life. It physically didn't, but Kemi needed it too. She wanted him to leave a space. He pressed on. You won National Marketing Executive of the Year. Again, congratulations. A grin spread across his lightly freckled face. He folded his muscular arms across his chest, shirt sleeves rolled up to the elbows. She responded with a deep breath and then, thanks Connor, tapering off into a smile. Well, thank the awards committee. We can't go public yet with the news because it's embargoed until early May But we should celebrate early. I'll get Rita to fix a cake and some champagne, he added. Thanks, but really, I don't want to make a fuss about it. It's a huge honor, but he cut her off. Well, we're going to make a fuss about it, about you. So on Friday, Rita will get the cake and champagne, okay? She smiled again deeply. She smiled again deeply this time, revealing equally deep dimples. That was when she cut it again. The naked look in his eyes, that split-second linger that revealed a boss wanted her.
1: Thank you. So you said that you wanted to tackle class, culture, and career in this in this novel. And when we first meet Cami, she's very much at the top of her career, and she's being headhunted for another career. Well, the same career, but in another country. Why was it so important for you to present this image of a Black woman as being so strong and assertive and knowing what she's doing in her career, but who is, by her own admission, failing in her love life? Correct. It
0: was really super important because one of the kind of messages we get in society as women is yes, we're strong, we're independent, we don't need anybody, we can do it all on our own, whatever. Which makes women that do want a partner feel like they are somehow selling out because they say, you know what, I'm lonely, I need a man. And so for me, it was really important for me to show that it was okay for Kemi to feel like she needed a partner, right? And not always feel like, I don't need anybody, I can do it all, I'm this kind of strong a uh, black woman you know that can that can go it all so for me i wanted to show that vulnerable side she wanted to be taken care of emotionally she wanted to have someone to have a partner like you know to, to have a partner so for me it was super important to show that it was okay for her to want that and that doesn't make her less of a strong powerful career woman then was it intentional to create
1: the character britney as almost like her exact opposite yes
0: It was important to create Britney because Britney's story is also valid. Britney is also valid. She's, you know, she's allowed to want what she wants, even if you may not share the same values, right? She's allowed to be who she is. And there is a scene where Kemi is rude to Britney. And at that moment, people take Britney's side, even though Kemi was trying to say, like, I work so hard, I struggle, I do all this, I you know, and in a sense, you are just using your beauty to get along and you get everything for free. In that moment, the reader actually feels for Britney, even though Kemi was trying to show that I'm the one you should be feeling bad for. Mm-hmm. So, so there was a lot of nuance, there was a lot of thought going into the way I created the characters and their relationships as well. And I also wanted to create those two to show that Just because you're Black women, you don't have to be friends because you may have different values, different experiences, different backgrounds. So I wanted to put that in the book as well, you know, that, again, giving the women space to just be themselves.
1: And that seemed like a very difficult fact for Muna to understand that just because these people are around you or they look like you or they share a similar experience as you do especially being as a refugee that yes. you all aren't automatically going to be friends or sisters. Yes.
0: Yeah. And I'm glad you brought that and you cut that thread as well, because that was also showing that just because she's black and they're all the same, doesn't mean they want the same thing, they, you know, or they are looking for the same thing as well. Again, giving all the black women agency to just be themselves, to want what they want be, you know? Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I think if Luna, who says on page, One forty-seven. after she has had a run-in with Kami at the office, she says, you know, who could she fully trust that wouldn't see her as someone to be talked about behind closed doors? And so Mm -hmm. I I thought that was interesting coming from her because it it speaks to both the immigrant experience and the Black experience in another place. And so I guess in channeling some of your own experience in that way, how does it feel
0: when you are both? Both an immigrant and both a black woman? Yeah. Yes. And I think Godwin, a guy in the book, kind of says it best, right? That in, in America, at least you're fighting your enemy in daylight, like in, in the limelight, right? Where in Europe, it's a lot more quiet, right? People will leave you alone, but all the talking is done behind the closed doors, mm-hmm. you know, which is, almost feels more insidious, right? Because you don't know the, you know the um, the atmosphere you're walking into. You feel like, oh, it's welcoming, it's this. But the minute the doors close, busting into native language, and that's it. You know, and of course, these are issues that happen in all parts of the world, but it also happens a lot here. And so I think it was important to show that because that happens a lot in Sweden. You know, it is a, a great country, but it's also the most open society run by the most private people. You know, so.
1: Yeah, you and you mentioned that a bunch of times with Kimmy and with Brittany about how everyone around them is speaking Swedish and they don't understand the language or they're yeah. barely understanding the language, only able to pick out a few words here and there and how isolating
0: that could be. And it's really important because people always say, yes, well, if you move to a place, learn the language. Of course, you need to learn the language, but it takes time to learn the language. It's imagine the strength it takes to move somewhere new learn from scratch the language, try to understand, try to integrate. And then it's always people like, well, I mean, just learn it. And then you understand what we're saying. It's a very dismissive thing of the all, of all the effort you're already putting in to learn the language. It's not easy. So I really wanted to do it that way. In Britney's chapters, I wasn't really translating the Swedish because she did not understand anything until maybe towards the end because... It's all written in the view of the women. So when I translate the Swedish, it's because the person understands. So it's Muna understands it. So I'm translating for the reader because Muna is the one understanding it.
1: Uh, I guess I keep coming back to Muna. Uh, page 217, she says, belonging and acceptance were curious siblings indeed, Muna often thought. These feelings made men grovel. One could try to belong for decades without ever fully being accepted. I'm like, this applies to so much more than men and i think it speaks to the entire arc of the book they're all missing that it
0: could be so much more than what they have yes yes yeah absolutely and that is also one of my favorite lines from the book because and it and i look at it for people that have moved into new cultures that do everything they can to try and integrate in and there's a difference between assimilation and integrating Mm -hmm. right you can integrate without fully assimilating and dropping your own background, your own culture, because it's valid. Because in essence, you are saying I have to kill a part of me just to be accepted by another society. And that doesn't make sense to me anyway. That's something I I could never do. So, but there are lots of people that do do that because they feel like like ultimate acceptance, you know, within this new culture is the goal because they need to make them feel equal, but no. You'll never ever be equal, you know. And so that was that was why it was important for me to write kind of kind of those thoughts out in the book. And I think because there were there were sexy parts and there were serious
1: parts, and then you touch on serious issues, like as with, with the refugees and and the stories that happened there very early on. And uh even with like the state of mind that the characters are in, and then even though it's not explicitly said in the book. Yanni has a condition as well that you, you pick up on very, very early on. And so I think in touching so many issues, you give a greater sense of what real life is like, like, it's not just one thing. It's many, many, many different things, no matter who you are, where you come from.
0: Yes, no, absolutely. And and that was they always say like if you're a debut novelist, you want to kind of tackle everything at once. But for me, it makes sense. Life is complex, life is messy. I can't talk about sexism without that with you know without talking about racism, without talking, it's all together, you know. And I wanted to write it in a very organic way. I wanted every single character to be messy and complex. Mm-hmm. And I wanted people to, on one page, like the character, the next page, page don't like them, the next page like them. Like, because that's how life is. Some days you like someone, the next day you don't, the next day you do. Like, so, yeah. And that's very true for the
1: characters. But what I I thought was also very well done is that even though you could have like this like-dislike relationship with the characters. There was always the, the instances of prejudice and racism and discrimination that was always the villain. Um, and writing such a deeply multi-layered novel, what do
0: you want your readers to get from it? I think that's the beauty of the book is that you get what you get out of it, right? It's the, the main message is just that empathy is just my main message to make you have more empathy for people, each other, because everybody's going through. Now, whatever other message people want to get out of it is up to them. So whether it's not seeing Black women as monoliths, you know, and saying we're all very different, to seeing just how just the effects of exclusion, isolation, denial can really destroy people, to, you know, just how it's one thing to be, diverse is one thing to be inclusive you know so there's so many different kind of takeaways people can take but i think for me the main takeaways i just want people to just have a bit more empathy
1: hmm. it's not just empathy but it, it's the empathy for the things that make us different
0: yes yes
1: okay so with such uh a, a, a novel out now like this what's next <laughs>
0: Well, I mean, you know, I'm always writing, so I definitely have, you know, I'm following, like I've got a couple book ideas I'm working on. I've already started writing, you know, kind of really far along. Uh, More things that might explain or put some more closure to some of the characters, you know, so... Thank you so <laughs> I know so that's so that's uh, in the works and uh, and of course other ideas and there's so many interesting characters in the book that I could already take one and create a story around you know, so I've got stuff in the works and you know we've got uh, you know, we just heard from our film agent that we've got a bunch of interests in TV and film, so we're gonna be having some meetings and things like that so you know, knock on wood, we find the right keep growing our team for this book. Yes. I want to
1: switch to our speed round and a little game for you before I let you go. Okay.
0: Okay. Yes. All right. So what is your favorite book? Oh, my favorite? Oh my goodness. I have so many favorite books. Can I just say my favorite book that I just read recently? Yeah. <laughs> I just finished uh, not too long ago, Wahala, mm-hmm. which is coming out next year uh, by Nikki May and. You know, 22. Oh, my God. 2022. It's, it's flying. So that, that's a great book. But I have so many books I really enjoy. Do you know I mean? Picking a favorite is just like, oh, my God, I'm on the spot. You know, <laughs> you know. So uh, who is your favorite author? It's a controversial one. But I think it was when I was younger writing fiction, I connected with D.H. Lawrence's work. Mm. And he's a very controversial author back then because, I mean, he's the one that's behind uh, Lady Chatley's Lover and lots of those kind of books. But it was more the way he was writing. He had the drama to the way he wrote that kind of I really enjoyed. Mm. But I mean, there are so many I love, like Tony Morrison, you know, like I, I love Chimamanda as well. There's so many people, you know. But um, yeah, so. What is your favorite song? My favorite song is Mysterious Ways by U2. Mm. That song, when that song comes on, wherever I am, I just like spirits get flows through my body because the, the there's a lyric that said God, God moves in mysterious ways. You know, mm-hmm. she moves in mysterious ways. My name, my full name is Onora Lola Olua, which is God moves in mysterious ways. God's ways are wonderful, right? God's ways are mysterious. That's my full name in Yoruba. So when that song, the minute I found that song and I heard it for the first time and I heard that line, just a soul connection. So that is my song, u Mysterious Ways.
1: Um, you are a travel writer, so you've traveled the world. If money were no
0: option, where would you go and what would you do? If money were no option, I would just go two years to the South Pacific just island up for two years. Tonga, Samoa, Fiji, oh, just everywhere there in the South Pacific and just live there, enjoy the culture, learn the cultures, different cultures, and just do that for two years. Just island up in. What brings you joy? Mm, when my kids say, Mama, you know, when they call me mom, you know, and they just come and say, Hey mama, mm-hmm. you know. And my my son he usually says it in like a little I call it like a little oral movie kid. am mommy. <laughs> you know, but those just hearing them say that just brings me joy.
1: <laughs> my son does that too. Maybe it's
0: a boy thing. He <laughs> might just come. 'I'm mommy. You're know, like okay. Being weird, yeah. <laughs> and what brings you peace? Mm. In being in any space where I don't have to explain my existence. Mm right so it could be with friends it could be in a situation it could even be parties it could be loud it could be quiet but as long as I can just be fully without having to explain why I'm there that brings me peace
1: all right and now I have a little game for you it's called rewriting the classics Uh, what's the one book you wish you
0: would have written I would say like American actually. (laughs) I love, I love, I love the book because I, I recognize a lot of that experience, right? Where moving from one place to another, to go to school and then trying to figure out the cultural nuances and the different cultures and African versus African American. And so that would have been a book where I would have, if I had known, if I had maybe add the idea back then that would be something a lot of Africans in the diaspora in America could have written their own versions of because it's true when you move, that's something you have to navigate as a new person. And so that's why it resonated with a lot of Africans that moved, you know, to the U S to start, because it was again, trying to understand a new culture and respect it deeply as well, you know? So it's, so that, if, if that was, that's a book that I would have, you know, if I had that idea back then of like,
1: yeah. What's one book where you want to change the ending and how would you do it? I think I want to change
0: the ending. I don't know. I mean, there's so many books that I've read recently that have been by amazing authors, but then get to the end and I'm like, Is the, no, it cannot end this way, you know? So so I don't know. I'm not going to mention any books, you know? I, I will not want to change anybody's because the authors have their inspiration, how they wanted their stories to be told. So I will not want to kind of go and change, you know, their own endings, you know? I know people with my own book, they want me to, they want me to have changed my own ending. I'm like, no, so... <laughs> All right. So then my last question
1: for Rewriting a Classic, and because you've been so gracious, I'm not sure you're going to answer it, but I'm going to ask, what's one book that you think is overrated and why? I am not
0: going to say (laughs) nothing. My mouth is shut (laughs) on that question. Okay. So
1: so then my final question for you today is when you are no longer here and among the ancestors, Mm. what do you Mm. want people to write about the legacy of work and words that you've left behind?
0: Mm. Wow. That's, That's strong. That's powerful. Um, that she tried to bring us closer together to understand each other better that that would be it that she did everything she could through our words through our photography through the work she did through our purpose which is fostering cultural connection she tried as much as she could to bring us closer together so we understand and see ourselves reflected in each other thank you Lola that was beautiful thank you so much thank you for having me
1: Big thank you to Lola Akinmari-Ockerstrom for being here today on Black & Published. Make sure you check out Lola's novel, In Every Mirror, She's Black, out now from Sourcebooks Landmark. And if you're not following Lola, follow her on the socials. She's at Lola Akinmari on Twitter and Instagram. That's our show for the week. If you like this episode and want more Black & Published, head to our Instagram page. It's at Black and Published, and that's B-L-K and Published. There, I've posted a bonus clip from my interview with Lola about the resource she shared with the world to show her rejections over 10 years and how that toughened her up for the gatekeeping against her novel. Make sure you check it out and let me know what you think in the comments. I'll holler at y'all next week when our guest will be Adiba Nelson. Author of the motherhood memoir, Ain't That a Mother. Until next time, peace.